a besmirched PE teacher, an online conspiracy theory and a vegetable store under siege. It's called the eggplant for a start. Yes, that's a bit of tongue-in-cheek humour for young people. Young people know exactly what the eggplant emoji is and it's just trying to, you know, get their attention really. On tonight's special report, special we unearthed the story of how one local high school found itself at the centre of the eggplant scandal. We've used the, an actual eggplant throughout the episodes just to bring in the humour and the comedy and keep that going. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today's detail is nothing to do with eggplants really. It's about this. Conspiracy theories? No. Don't believe it. Nah, don't believe them. I knew there was a lot of sus information going on on the internet. It's about the frightening rise of fake news or misinformation among young people and the $4.4 million government-funded campaign that takes a serious issue and inserts an eggplant, i.e. the emoji symbol for a penis, to get kids to sit up and take notice. Here's the head of the project at the Department of Internal Affairs, Trina Lowry. The eggplant series for the first six episodes takes on a a crime comedy drama aspect and a giant eggplant gets planted on a school rugby field and the principal of that school is really into her crime series and she goes all detective on the on the eggplant and wants to find out who planted it there and um, her along with the other teachers find culprits that they think might be responsible and they're all students within the school and they interview each student and each student has an alibi and those alibis relate to a different online issue so pornography, grooming, nudes and bullying. Now, just released, is a bonus episode on fake news. Oh, this sucks, G. I never checked any of it. I just figured it was legit because you guys were sharing it. And, and LJ2 and Dan's videos. It wasn't just me, it was you too. We just have to be more careful about the stuff we say online. Check the facts before we start spreading stupid rumours. The topic of of misinformation is becoming more and more in the spotlight. There's more people being interested in knowing what the size of the problem is in New Zealand and and how it's impacting New Zealanders. There has been a report come out from the classification office that shows that actually people in New Zealand are concerned about misinformation, including teenagers. Can we talk about how it's spread among young people? Yeah, I guess um, online, um, there's a lot of memes. There's a lot of sharing of um, information that they receive from a source and sharing that on without thinking about it before they share it. There's a lot of rumour and gossip that goes on. You could say that this is, it's all part of growing up, really. You know, the sharing yeah. of information, then figuring out what's what's the truth and, and mm. what's not the truth. And that's yeah. nothing new. Why put so much effort into a warning about misinformation? What is it? You know, when I was growing up, there wasn't the internet like there is today. Uh, And our news came in from reputable sources and it was easy. And the, the information that we got was from our local, the people around us. Whereas nowadays, children are online. You know, they're interacting with all sorts of people online 
and getting all sorts of information thrown at them. So it's a lot noisier nowadays than what it has been in the past. And this generation is growing up with something that is completely different to any generation before them. Remember this? Hiya, I'm Sue. This is Derek. We're here because your son just looked us up online, you know, to watch us. Matt! Matt, darling, there's some people here to see you. Hey, Maddie. You're all right. It's the porn stars on the doorstep ad that's also part of the Keep It Real online campaign. This bit was aimed at parents and was so successful it went viral. The South Korean government loved it so much it bought the ads and dubbed them into Korean. And we did a podcast on it in July last year. Now the eggplant series is the part that is pitched at young people. But how do they know it's working? With the eggplant We've had over 300,000 episode views and it's 77 minutes of episodes. So we've got millions of minutes of government public service announcements that young people have watched, which is incredible. Um, And we've also done some research across New Zealand families and um, the survey that we've done has come back telling us that over 63% of children who have watched it are having conversations with their parents, which is huge. And not only that, but teachers are using it in the classroom as a teaching tool. How much is this timed to coincide with what's going on with COVID, with our vaccination mm. rollout? Is that deliberate? No, it's not deliberate. It's nice, nice timing, but it's not deliberate. I guess with misinformation, there has been ongoing conversations about misinformation across a lot of different organizations in the last last wee while like it's becoming we can see or just the bubbling up of the noise around the topic Mm. we know that it's becoming more and more of a concern across across many organizations and so I don't think COVID has changed that it may have amplified it and so while this is coming out in a good timely manner to do with COVID, um, it's a coincidence, not on purpose, but it's a good coincidence. Yeah, it is funny and it's shocking in parts. So yeah. how how did it all come about? Well, actually, this goes back to COVID, which is quite funny. So when we, we already knew we wanted to do an awareness campaign and we know we're not doing enough um to reduce the risk of harm for young people. So we just wanted to increase awareness of the issues. And then actually we went into our first lockdown for COVID and straight away um, we saw an increase in the time that young people were spending online. So they were spending 40% more time online than normal. And we also knew just anecdotally from ourselves and our friends that a lot of that time is actually being spent away from their parents because parents were working and spending another in another room on Zoom. Um, and kids were also away from the protection of the school filters. So schools across the country have filters in place that block harmful um, material and um, they were away from those. So they were in homes that potentially didn't have school filters. So we, we knew that the risk was higher and not only that, but they were already also isolated and potentially more vulnerable in the lockdown. And so we sought funding to kick the campaign off then. Now, shortly Trina is going to talk about the kind of reaction she got when she went to her bosses for their approval for this campaign. But I want to bring in Martin Cocker here. 
He's the head of NetSafe, which is one of the many agencies that had a say in it. There was a conversation in lockdown with the then uh, DIA minister, Tracy Martin, about the strain that was coming on the online safety community and the, an op, you know to see whether there was an opportunity to do something in response to that. So they set up an initial uh, panel of four agencies themselves, NetSafe, the Classification Office and the Ministry of Education. And uh, as each campaign or each component has been developed, they've brought in other experts. And so for this latest one with uh, misinformation, they had a broader group of misinformation experts that they also engaged with to get feedback on how to make it work. When you say there was strain on people like yourselves, what do you mean by that? During the first lockdown last year, the demand on every service NetSafe delivered at least doubled. Requests for us to help with projects doubled. Everybody wanted something at that point. Everybody suddenly sort of discovered things that go wrong online and and realised that we couldn't sort of avoid them because we forced everybody to go home and said to them, you must use technology to stay connected and you must use technology to continue to be educated and work. NetSafe's one of the frontline agencies, but also, as mentioned before, the Classification Office, Department of Internal Affairs, the High Tech Crime Unit of the Police, all of these agencies were saying the same thing, and that was big increases in volumes of work. And, uh, you know, we were aware that there were obvious points of stress and that is specifically really families at home uh, where you know parents were trying to continue on working trying to educate uh, young people who were then trying to you know connect with their education in the home as well so we're really acutely aware of that sort of stress within the family units and family homes have you seen an increase in the whole misinformation area I mean, there's no question that we've seen an increase in it. If you if you go back four or five years, nobody was talking about misinformation in any serious way. And then we had the uh, US election in 2016 that sort of really rose the issues around misinformation, the abuse especially of social media to disseminate uh, false information to people. Uh, and then here in New Zealand, we had... You know, we had an election soon after that, but it, we didn't see the same effects here. But then as we had the COVID response and we started to see people rising, you know, rise of misinformation directly kind of contradicting key public health messages and government messages. Uh, and then the threat, I guess, a fairly serious threat of um, interference in our election process, uh, partly because of the high profile of our country and our prime minister, um, to events over the last few years. So there was a, a real concern that misinformation was going to, I mean, it clearly it swirls around everywhere, but there was a concern that it was going to actually disrupt, you know, processes that are really important to us. Uh, at the point that we lose confidence in our democratic process of electing a government, we've got a real problem. Even if the misinformation doesn't actually change the outcome, if afterwards people are not confident in, that the outcome was accurate or genuine, then we've got a problem. And so... Uh, you know, clearly we can see misinformation attempts around the election. We've got obvious ones around uh, COVID and the COVID response. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's a series of fairly serious and ongoing misinformation campaigns against things like 5G technology that uh, are causing disruption in our community. And the thing that surprises me, I guess, is uh, the percentage of the population who believe what we know 
are conspiracy theories or are false theories. Quite a few people, unfortunately, believe that COVID is false, that uh, the response by the government is purely designed to, to enable control. They believe that 5G is a, is a technology designed to control people's minds rather than you know just a faster way to connect cellular devices. So unfortunately, whatever we think about it, to some extent, misinformation, disinformation is working uh, and people are starting to believe the wrong things. Mm. How is it different with children in terms of the fake news, the kind of fake news they get and, and the way they get it? There's probably two things that are really important when we think about misinformation, disinformation with young people. The first thing is that young people use social media as their primary source of news information. So their news feed on their social media is where they find out what's going on in the world. Uh, of course, social media is full of legitimate news, uh, but also social media is the place that misinformation is most effectively spread. So they are in an environment where they're seeking out information uh, and there is false information in that environment. The other thing is, of course, uh, for many young people, they don't have the life experience to look at a piece of information and say that is not consistent with what I've learned through life or what I've seen through life. So there's a vulnerability because they're learning about topics for the first time and they are more likely to rely on social media. So this is the first young generation with all of these factors in place. So, you know, there's no question that we've had misinformation or disinformation propaganda, I guess, before. There's no, you know, question that we've had social media for a while and we've had uh, the ability to absorb information through different ways for a while. But, you know, to be sort of primarily connected by social media, to have the kind of volume of, of disinformation and the opportunities that it creates, the ability for people to, you know, re with really pretty low budgets, create a pretty convincing looking fake information. Uh, you know, we're, we're the sort of perfect kind of storm of all of these technologies coming together is happening now. I guess we don't know where it's going to go, but it's happening now. So it's different today than it ever has been. And then we've got a, a cohort of young people that are coming through and, and experiencing it and that are heavy users of technology and they're, they're sort of the first ones to experience it in volume. Where do you think we need to go from here? What next? What you need to do whenever you create resources like this is you need to wrap around it all of those things that make those resources super effective. So, you know, it would be ideal if uh, every young person who saw the eggplant series also had went home to a conversation with their parents where their parents were able to pick up on the themes in it or sat in a classroom with educators and, and classmates where they uh, had meaningful conversations about it. And so if, if, if you were going to do something next, you know, if the, if the government come, came and said, look, we've got some more money, it probably wouldn't be to create more videos. So it would be to create resources to assist in the use of those videos. You know, it's a busy environment. There's a lot of public education. We're getting a lot of messages about what we should and shouldn't do in this, in this world. Uh, and so for, for people in online safety, we have to cut through all of that noise with something that's entertaining and interesting. And so I think, you know, there's definitely through the work that NetSafe's done in the past, through the work the other partners have done, you know, through the experience of Keep It Real Online, there's definitely a clear understanding that this is the way to engage with people. You've got to create things that are watchable in and of themselves. They are humorous in a way that the people of New Zealand find funny, you know, the, the localised, uh, and they engage. And then once you've got that and you've got people's 
attention, then you can, you know, you can, you've got a chance to tell them something that's really important. And you mentioned earlier that it's unusual for a government agency to have a campaign that's this edgy. That's my words rather than yours. Yeah. So it is unusual for a government agency to put a, together a campaign that's, that's this edgy, but this is the only way this campaign would have returned the value. If we took away all of the risk and all of the episodes and all of the content that just won't be as engaging and won't be as effective. So, so this is definitely the way to do it. This is definitely the way to do public education. So he watches you online. Yay! You know, on his laptop. iPad, PlayStation. Mm, his phone, your phone. Smart TV projector. Yeah, anyway, we usually perform for adults, but your son's just a kid. How were you able to persuade your bosses, Trina, to um, give money towards a campaign that featured porn actors turning up on the doorstep of somebody's house with no clothes on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, the um, the money was approved before the naked porn stars turning up on the doorstep. So we got the approval for funding before the concept, but we did still have to get permission to have naked people in our campaign. We knew that we needed to break through noise that parents had around them. We also knew that... Um, Everything that we were doing, we had solid evidence about. Like, we know how many people are getting harmed from pornography. Older children are using it to um, to learn about relationships. And young children are stumbling across it. So we were just really, really careful when we did um, develop that ad to make sure that all of the other risks that could possibly come up in that ad um, were mitigated. So that, like you'll see, there's a teacup um, being held strategically and there's a fence covering them from the back. We built a lot of trust with our leadership team that um, gave us the ability to keep going with that idea. And also with, with the series on the eggplant, I mean the connotations yeah. of the eggplant, I only found, <laughs> found out what it meant through your series I have to say, but that yeah. must have been the same for a lot of people that you went to in the department to say this yes. is what we're thinking of. Yes, absolutely. Um, I we had a lot of joy um, having those conversations, <laughs> letting people know what an eggplant emoji meant. We have pulled it back quite a bit compared to what it would be if it was a private production, um, but we have been quite risque considering we're a government department, absolutely, and done things incredibly different to what has come in the past and. We talked about using comedy rather than, you know, going to the dark side of those issues. It was more about actually how can we how can we talk to our young people? Um, and then with the porn stars on the doorstep concept, there was a group of us. So um, there were three managers involved in seeing that. And there was we also had some collaborative agencies along with us and they saw it as well. And between the six of us, we had a really first a bit of a like, oh, can we do this kind of reaction and a bit of a giggle and, and took us a, a while to talk about it and realise that we all loved it because I think we were quite shy at first saying that we really liked it. Admitting that. Because um, we, weren't, we weren't quite sure, but it was the CEs or the high-up senior executives on that group with the three managers from the department. So because they'd said yes, 
I just use that <laughs> as, a, as a leverage. You know, when we talked about it as a group, we talked about it potentially being the next Ghost Chips ad. Mm. I don't know if you remember that ad. Grab a chip. Want a chip? You know I can't grab your Ghost Chips. That ad was really, everybody knows that ad. So yep. we're like, we, we want to try and make it as popular as that. Um, and little did we know that we didn't just do that, but we went viral around the world. How high did you have to go to get the tick of approval? I mean, did it go as high as the minister? Uh, yes. She'd given the go-ahead for the funding. It was only right to, you know, let her know about what we were doing, mm. given the given the concept. Can I ask you something personal, Martin? You've got preschoolers. Yeah. How worried are you about the kind of world that they're going into? I mean, especially in your position. Um, before I answer the personal question, I can tell you that NetSafe asked the population, you know, we did a survey a couple of months back, and we asked people whether they thought that the internet had been net positive or net negative in their own lives and overwhelmingly adults said that they felt it had been net positive but when we asked them whether it was net positive or net negative for young people the majority said they thought it was net negative for young people um, I don't I don't share that view so so personally I do believe that the opportunities that technology is bringing both you know sort of social and, and educative opportunities do outweigh the harms if you manage the harms and you know I do believe that uh the world is better off for the the capability that the internet has brought for the systems it's brought now i'm not fearful for my children but i do think that as a society we've got to have some we've got to take some serious looks at some of the decisions we've made around technology and and just sort of think about rebalancing our attention really promoting the need for safety and security and privacy higher uh, and then you know decreasing the kind of rush to to get product into market. And I do think that what we've seen in the last few years is a is a shifting of the environment where there's a greater focus on trust and safety and you know privacy and security. But unfortunately, being on the right track doesn't mean you're there yet. And every day, obviously, we see thousands of people harmed. So I'm optimistic for my little ones. I worry more about you know young people who are teenagers and and you know preteen now. I think they're they're probably at the worst point because the safety and security privacy maturity of of the environment isn't there That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint Newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Jeremy Ansell engineered it. Thanks to Martin Cocker and Trina Lowry. Ka kite anō. Thank you.